Hello and welcome to the Pink Bike Podcast. This week for the news preamble, I'm joined by Matt and Christina here in the Pink Bike HQ in Squamish. So there was some very, 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 very exciting racing going at the weekend. The Snowbike World Champs. Now, Matt, last time I, I tried to ask you a question about how resources get directed within racing, it went really, really badly for me. <laughs> so I'm going to be very careful with my words here. And if there are any snowbikeists out there, I wouldn't want them to feel that I'm in any way, you know, getting into anything too big. Do you think snow biking is a valid thing? Do you think there's, I saw a Rob Warner thing, actually, in that really great podcast I did with the Ride Companion saying, if we want mountain biking to be popular, we need to go to the people. And that's kind of what snow biking is. What was your interpretation of the event? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I didn't actually tune in for the event live, but I've done quite a bit of snow riding in the past growing up in Eastern Canada. It's quite interesting. It's exhilarating. And you can actually cover quite a bit of ground, whether you're flying down a ski run or maybe some cross-country trails as well on a fat bike. I was going to say, I mean, it feels like there are two different things going on there. Like fat biking is, an act- is a very much a thing. Yeah. Riding ski piste on mountain bikes is a different thing. It's, it's a newer thing. Christina, you've lived in Whistler for many years. Have you ever been hiking your bike up to go ride, I don't know, lemon peel on, a, <laughs> on your enduro bike? Is that a thing? Um, definitely not on purpose. There are sometimes on opening weekend in the bike park, there might be a little bit of snow lingering around, in which case you just, you know, smash through it, try to get through that as quick as possible, especially when they open top of the world. Um, but one time I did, I raced mountain of hell in France on a glacier and it was hands down one of the scariest things I have ever done so much to the point where I don't think I would do that again. Yeah, it seems like incredibly high risk, kind of little reward, you know? Mm. Very little reward. And I'm not sure exactly how they ran the um, world champs this past weekend, but I know that as the day gets on, the snow gets warmer and it gets a lot harder to carve into and make the turn. So, I mean, that would have almost definitely played a factor oh. in how it all played out. There was me thinking the softer snow would actually be, but actually what you want is you want that, I always think of it like it's like mashed potato mm. yeah. with the perfect, the perfect corduroy. You know, like with the, it's just, that's, that's where the grip is, I guess. Cause that's basically like a. That'd know, be the most grip. And then the most grip. I imagine they're all running those studded tires with massive screws. And well, yeah. I saw something about that. There was some sort of qualms from some races, only one or two about certain people not abiding by certain screw lengths, <laughs> which seems like, uh, you know, a, a very exciting topic. And I'm glad, I'm glad we're covering in depth <laughs> the pink bike. Yeah. <laughs> um, it is very interesting. I mean, I think for all of all of what mountain biking is, you know, if this gets people more excited, if it gets more money into the sport, maybe, you know, like I think you see other sports and sometimes they do kind of sell their soul a bit in terms of the access. What we need right now is bums on seats. We need people watching. <laughs> and if that means we have to go make a bit of a spectacle, maybe that isn't so bad. They do it with trials riding, you know, they have well, their competition trials and they go and yeah, jump around yeah, yeah. to car park and for, for a festival. Totally. I would say this winter, maybe in comparison to a lot, there are a lot of ski resorts struggling with enough snow. Like they're not open or they have very limited terrain. So it is interesting in a time where, you know, honestly, Whistler Bike Park looks, you can go ride most of A-Line right now. We're taking snow biking as an option to almost like bridge the seasons. Can Whistler, right. Or maybe we should start the rallying cry now. Whistler should open early. <laughs> open early, please. Let's go. Let's please. go. Let's. I think they have done that in the past when the time allows. But 
they don't make any more money opening early because it's only the season pass holders that oh, are going to yeah. come up anyway. So Shit. they don't really care about us. Oh, for That's, real? Yeah. I mean, if I didn't have a pass and Whistler opened early, I would buy a day ticket and go up. But you would, but would you buy that same damn day ticket if it opened at the normal time? Yeah, go again. <laughs> okay, well, there we go. Sweet. Well, that's a case study of one. But Whistler, you're going to double your money. If you open a month early, you're going to get them on the way in and the way out. This is perfect. Um, I mean, for us, Matt, we're planning this um, downhill bike field test. And it would be very, very, very nice if instead of bouncing around the back of a U-Haul up Cyprus, yeah. we had um, Whistler Bike Park at our disposal, right? That would be a lot simpler. Do you think there's much... Um, how, how do you rate the park as a testing facility on a downhill bike? Do you think it's got good test tracks up there? It does. I would say they're less accessible than some of the other runs. Like I think the better terrain for downhill bikes might be in Garbanzo at times. Mm-hmm. And there's maybe only one or two excellent test tracks down bottom. Yeah. Uh, and they kind of cross over a bunch of other ones, which are sometimes closed depending on construction or whatever. So mm. yeah, it's not very conducive. Um, as great as it is to have the lift, it's not as privatized as like, say like a standalone day on Provost, for instance, as a what a day on Provost. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like a, a shuttle, like a, a shuttle specific area is a lot more practical, mm. but the bike park is a lot more practical in other sense that you have a chairlift. So no, no, so true. Yeah. I mean, I think it's funny cause Whistler bike park is obviously amazing. I've had, I was a proud sick and sick it. Oh, bloody hell. Ticket season holder. Mm-hmm. Ticket season holder isn't, isn't the one I wanted to say. Um, last year. But it's interesting because of the construction, I haven't ridden half of the trails that went under the lift, like all Schlair and stuff. Yeah. Never even got to ride it. Big amount is, taken out by that. Is the um, rock as grippy as it looks, Christina? You can just Ooh. drag front brake all the way down, right? Some of the newer <laughs> trails have grippy rock, but the old trails like McSkimming's Rock and um, Joyride and stuff, they've been ridden so much that they're just smooth like glass. So mm. maybe watch out for those. But that's a good point. There will be a lot of new tracks that you guys haven't necessarily spent time on because it all got demolished. Yeah. So Whistler, if you're listening, I'm pretty sure it's just one person, Mr. Whistler. <laughs> <laughs> so please do us a favor. Open up. And um, if only to make my life slightly, slightly easier. Um, speaking of testing, Matt, last week we shot a video with my favorite toy, the BYB telemetry kit, which is technically data acquisition, but it's always fun to call it telemetry, even if only to get people at you in the comments. So we did some telemetry testing without going into the results. Um, I can only assume I was just a pleasure to work with and you had a lovely day riding your bike, no? For sure. It was sunny. <laughs> you helped push the bike up, which was... Tremendous help. <laughs> and yeah, I think we learned a lot. Do you think that, um, and I'm really excited to share this video, which I think will be coming out relatively soon. Um, do you think this telemetry kit is a tool for the wider masses or do you think that it is something that it really is for a racer's tool? It's definitely a racer's tool, like especially these days at a high level. I think that even, you know, privateers, could really benefit from this, but I could see it maybe as a, a shop tool or like a race team tool, even at a, you know, regional weekend warrior style racing level uh, that they could benefit from. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Christina, how am I going to get you on the telemetry kit once your knee gets, your knee hab is complete? I would love that. I've always wanted to do a test with myself on can I get faster in a day, which sounds like you guys might have dabbled a bit in that, but you know, take it to a track that I know really well, say in the bike park, 
that way it's not just you getting comfortable on the track that's yes. creating a faster speed. It's actually the bike's setup. Um, but I do wonder, like, what what do you guys think is the difference between like this telemetry kit and something like the the Shockwiz? The Shockwiz is really good. To be fair, I think that the Shockwiz. I'm not. I would love to know more about how it's how it works in terms of knowing where it is in the travel because it knows your. You can put in the leverage ratio and you put in your start pressure, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But that sounds to me like it's working on the f- assumption that all spring curves are the same shape to know where you're so that I find quite interesting but the shock was is amazing because you can just sit and ride and actually for a lot of the things we were doing we we're talking about getting sag right getting balance right um and you could have that for the whole ride the byb is more about maximizing and really maximizing is the right word it can be very granular on one particular track mm at one particular sort of one time and place. Right. So it makes it a really good racing tool. But I think I'm a big advocate for Shockwiz. I thought it was kind of gimmicky when I first saw it floating about. I was like, oh, come, come off it now. But actually, I think it's pretty good. And dare I say it, I would also, um, I can't believe I'm about to say this, I would like to try the tyres. Oh, oh, yeah. I've been trying with different um, tyres with similar weights, but some that have lesser or shorter um, inserts, those butyl inserts. And I think if you can get more stroke of the tire, more often, it's the same thing like having a, a more linear fork. And I, I think, yeah, we I, love I, science. I you're onto something. We I love know. It. Yeah, it could be pretty fun. Why not try it? Did you yeah. use the tire wizard tool? Uh, it came on a track rail e-bike I tested two oh, years ago. I remember ago. that, and it had like seventeen different lights. It was like a bloody yeah. Christmas tree, that thing, <laughs> flashing green, red, white. I never really used it to tune the tire pressure. Uh, but I did use it to check the tire pressure. Mm. How about you, Christine? Have you had a go on tires? Yes, yes. I also tried it on the Trek EXE, and same. I kind of used it to check the tire pressure, and it was just very specific. So you know, half a psi can make a lot of difference to some people, um, not necessarily me. But it was cool to get real time because you know sometimes my hands are just weak or the tire just feels firmer than it is, and mm. so it's nice to have it on your phone not worry about losing pressure as you, you know, put the tire pressure gauge on or anything like that. And do I use it most of the time? No, but it's mm-hmm. a cool tool for those that want it. See, I and a couple of my other friends who work in mechanics really resist decimal points in pressure gauges because you can't, if, if someone then decides they're like 27.6, yeah. you're like, dude, it's like you'd leave out in the sun for half a second or whatever. It's, you know, one PSI is enough. Um, but anyway, we're actually going to get onto the, the podcast in earnest this week, which is a getting to know with our very own Sarah Moore, talking about XC, her life at Pink Bike, as well as her other roles with the industry. So I hope you enjoy it. Sarah Moore. Welcome to your, it sounds so official, welcome to your getting to know. Getting to know. <laughs> like, like it's not two of us sat in the studio, me covered in mud. It's, it's, a, it's a real big deal. So um, to kind of get people up to speed, what is it that you do at Pink Bike? That's probably a good place to start. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so my title is content manager. Mm-hmm. The easiest way to explain it to people is I call myself like the filter. So mm. we get a lot of brands that send us in content, individuals that send us in content. Like if you have a cool video, you can submit it to Pink Bike. 
And then I basically go through all that content and decide what gets to go on the homepage mm-hmm. and when, and then kind of schedule it, get a cool thumbnail. Um, um, that's like the bulk of what I do, I guess. Well, that's a really good thing to talk about, actually. What is the criteria for getting on the Pink Bike homepage for third-party creators? We have a content submission guide, so it's kind of like, it, it's hard to say. I mean, it's hard. <laughs> it's, it's, there, there are a myriad of factors, right? I mean, yeah. it depends, because if you're a brand, it differs from if you're an individual, perhaps. Like, and basically, even, we want content that people who are Pink Bike users are going to want to watch or are going to want to read about. Yes. Like, that's the criteria. But if you ask me to put your content up, and I say no, sometimes it's hard for me to say exactly granularly why I don't think it's homepage content. Yes. But the majority of the time, if it's if some of the pink bike readers are going to enjoy it, we're going to get it up on the homepage. Yeah. So that's kind of the goal is like that the pink bike homepage is articles and videos that the average pink bike reader or viewer wants to see there. Yeah, I think it's interesting the way I mean, I think it's really wonderful because people really want to be on the pink bike homepage. And isn't that a lovely position? I mean, I know that before I worked at Pink Bike, I wanted to, I wrote some little articles. I was <laughs> unbelievably happy that on the homepage. Yeah, it's cool. Um, but I think sometimes there is like a, I think sometimes we can offer great transparency. We, you know, I think we do offer a bit of transparency, but it'd be great to offer more about how to get on. Because I think sometimes, you know, the rumour is so much more exciting than the truth. And only the other day I saw a thing about how this person paid to get this YouTube video up and it's like, no, it's just a good YouTube video. Yeah. I don't know else, else to tell you. Yeah, yeah, I know. We see that a lot. It's like either this bike review was paid or this video was paid for or like, you know, it's because they're an advertiser that we're showing that video. And it's like, no, we look at each piece of content and it's my job to say yes and to make the homepage content like the content that is submitted homepage worthy, but it's also my job to say no, which can be hard at times as well, because I just want to say yes to everybody and <laughs> make yeah. everybody no, happy. So true. But, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely, it's like, if this is not going to be good for your brand or it's not going to be good for you as a rider or people aren't going to be interested in it, it's not going to, you know, get enough views and interest yeah. and engagement, then we can't put it on the homepage basically. Totally. So. And how long have you been at Pink Bike? Six years. Six years. Yeah, almost exactly six years. Yeah, I started, what year is it? Uh, 2018, I guess. Yeah. And did you move to BC for the job or were you in BC anyway? I moved to BC three years before for a job with Norco Bicycles. Right, because you were originally, where exactly? I'd know it as somewhere <laughs> over there. Where exactly are you from? Uh, so you've been to the Molson World Cup. I have. So I'm about four hours uh west of the Molson and nice. World Cup. So closer to Montreal. Oh, cool. Yeah. So that's and, where I grew up is north of Montreal. And you're bilingual? Yeah. So my parents both spoke English to me growing up, but because I grew up in Quebec, you kind of have mm. to be bilingual. So you get taught really good French at English mm. school in Quebec. And then I also went to school in French for three years. So. And do you consider yourself, you know, Canadian or French Canadian? Oh, Canadian. Yeah, Canadian. Canadian. Yeah. There, there, there is, there is a, a slight difference to yeah. some, I mean, to some, I presume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think like growing up as a, an English Quebecer is mm. kind of, you're the minority in Quebec if you're English speaking first, because I think 80% at least of the people in Quebec are French speaking first. Yes. So I kind of grew up as the minority speaking yeah. English, which is kind of an interesting. And did you feel, did that make you feel like some of an outsider, do you think, growing up or? It's definitely like I went to school in French for three years. And so mm-hmm. it was harder sometimes to express yourself or even like it's just easier if you're like in a cafe to just like tune everything out around you if it's yes. not like the language that you grew up speaking when you were a kid. So 
yeah, it's uh, an outsider. I mean, in certain occasions, for sure. Yeah. Like, there's like lo- lo- lots of language laws in Quebec. Don't um, they have to say bonjour to in, in Montreal or something like well, that? Well, I think they've changed it now. Like, there's they're quite stringent about. There's like laws around the French language, and like when I was living there, it was like if you have a business name, it has to be in French, and then if you have English writing, it has to be like. 80% of the size of the French writing or something like that. So, and now it's become even more strict. Like if you're in a public building or a public service, like hospital or school, you have to speak to people in French. Interesting. Yeah. It, yeah. It's funny. It's funny that I mean, imagine, <laughs> just if only because we, you know, in England, the, the example I would maybe cite, sorry, in England, like people aren't all Canadian, North Americans listen to us, but in England, obviously, we speak English, but however, um, Wales, which is next door part of the United Kingdom, there's a lot of people that speak Welsh. But Welsh is kind of the people, number of people speaking it is diminishing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a real shame because the language is just going to be lost. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose French Canadian is a bit different because there is still French at large, but you know, it, it's, it's such totally a- different though. As soon as I go into France and I try to speak French, they're like, what are you saying? And apparently, French, like Quebec French is very like old and quaint because it's like the <laughs> French that like came over, I don't know, three or 400 <laughs> yes, yes, years yes. ago and like hasn't evolved in the same way that French from France has evolved. So they've kind of like, they both mm. use tons of English words, but they use different English words for different things and different like words for different things. They're like, oh, that's so cute. Like you use like a totally different word. It's like totally, you know, from kind of quaint. Yeah, three hundred years yeah. ago or something. <laughs> You're like, I had no idea. I thought I spoke French. <laughs> yeah, so true. Um, so you grew up in Quebec. Mm-hmm. I know that you, you know, you had a lot of time with XC mountain biking. But were you an XC skier first that went mountain biking? Mm-hmm. So was, was skiing your first love? Would you say it was the first sport that my parents put me in? I guess. Mm. How old were you when you started? Uh I remember going alpine skiing when I was like four or five years old. Wow. So I like started with alpine skiing, I guess, because it was more fun to yeah, go totally down the hill, well, like yeah. <laughs> get like pulled up the hill. Um, and then, but probably cross country skiing like relatively soon after that. Um, How come you didn't persevere with the cross country skiing and you went to the mountain biking? I went pretty far with cross country skiing. I went to, so all through high school, that's why I went to French high school actually, is so for grades eight, nine and 10, I went to a sports study program. Oh, wow. Um, so I was like focused on cross-country ski racing for those three years. And then for grades 11 and 12, I went to a ski academy in Vermont. So you were really good. <laughs> I mean, I was pretty good. I got to, I went through, yeah, I went a lot. I raced a lot. Um, not, I'd say I didn't get, reach as high a level as I did mountain biking. Mm. And I think that was like, I mean, it was, uh, so it was grade 12, you're... 18 or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. They mean, they mean nothing to me, these grades. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so at that point, it was kind of like, I have to go. I, it was hard to do both, I guess. So mm. I was like, I'd rather stick to mountain biking because I was seeing more results coming with mountain biking. And I was like, I can always ski, but competing in both was kind of just hard to do both. And so, yeah, I got kind of as high of a level. I was mostly just like on the Quebec Cup. But that's still really of, high. Cross country skiing and did Canadian nationals. I think we came out west to do Canadian nationals in 2000. It was before the Olympics. We like got to go and ski on the Canadian nationals course at Whistler at Callahan. Um, 
And I remember like the Swedish team was there and they were all like testing their skis wow. before the Olympics. And I was like, whoa, we're riding, we're skiing the same course that this, the Olympians yeah. are going to be doing in 2010. So yeah, that was, that was pretty cool. That was probably like, yeah, the peak of my cross country ski career was around 20, 2008. Yeah. And what do you think it was? A, do you think you had like a good level of cardio? What, what was it that made you good at both XC or you more of a technician, like, you know, cross country skiing and cross country mountain biking? Is it, is it similar to kind of just having a big engine helps like being able to just operate at higher, quite high threshold of power? Or? I think I'm really good at suffering. Yes, which, which helps, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Um, yeah, because I would say like both cross country skiing and mountain biking, like I was never the most technically beautiful skier or the mm. most technically beautiful mountain biker or like most fearless mountain biker. But I think I just like, I'm good at suffering. I enjoy yes. like going deep in the pain locker. I remember like even... I think I was like 10 when I did kind of like my first <laughs> serious cross country races, <laughs> nice. which now you're like, wow, I was 10. Like that's pretty young. <laughs> mm. um, but I remember just like finishing the lot at, fi at the finish line, just like falling on the ground and being like absolutely exhausted and doing some like relay races like later on and being like, why is my teammate not even tired? Like work harder. <laughs> yeah, <all> right. <laughs> but yeah, I'm just good at going in the pain cave. <laughs> it is a funny thing. I often find that people much like yourself, I think are quite lighthearted. And, you know, I think we, we have this, sometimes it's a culture, we think that being like resilient is all about being kind of like tough and angry. And, and actually a lot of the toughest and most resilient people I know are quite lighthearted because it's almost like they don't give too much kind of oxygen to it. They're like, ah, oh, it hurts. What do you know? You know, I'll, I'll get. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, what do you think is something that you were able to kind of reach a, you know, you must have had different races, both on the snow and on mountain bike trails. Is there any, any one race on either where you felt that was the time I went deepest or the time that I really able to push myself harder than ever? Um, I mean, I feel like my first mountain bike races, maybe he wasn't pushing the deepest, but like I was just so out of my element that it right. was really fun and challenging. And I like finished those races like, covered in bruises but like it was kind of refreshing because I'd reached a point in cross-country skiing where I was kind of expected to perform and yes. then I came to mountain biking and it was refreshing not to have to perform it was like wow you're totally new to this and so I remember fi finishing last at the first like Canada Cup race in Tremblant and it was like an absolute mud fest and I think I ran my bike for half the course and I just like finished covered in bruises because I would just fall off my bike all the time but it was like a different kind of hard than mm. I guess I'd been used to. So that was cool. So I think, yeah, those first early races were just like, I was very technically poor, <laughs> poor <Yeah>. rider. <laughs> and so when did you really get into mountain biking then when you kind of began to commit and maybe even start to include some of your own expectations? I think, I mean, it happened pretty fast. Like, um, so the reason I got into mountain biking is because one of my friends who I cross country skied with, her dad was a big mountain biker. And he said, there's not a lot of women in here or girls at that time that are, that are riding. Like, can you come and keep your friend Micah company? Oh, and I was no. like, oh my gosh, I only get to see her in the summer. Like, yes, I want to hang out with her or in the winter. I would like to see her in the summer as well. So basically I got in to, to mountain biking so that I could spend more time with her. And then, um, I pretty much like two years after that, the coach that we were kind of just like going out for a weekly ride for the fun of it, he was like you girls should really like start racing because there's not very many girls who are racing. And we were like, 
okay, that could be fun. We could like go to a couple races around Quebec. And so within two years of starting, it was like, oh, now I'm expected to podium on the Quebec Cup circuit in mountain biking as well. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. And did you, did you enjoy that sort of pressure? Maybe, I mean, it's hard to say pressure from yourself, pressure from other people. I'm not sure, but pressure nonetheless. Yeah. I think, I don't know. It's, it's definitely cool when like the, you're between race tape or like as soon as they're like, somebody says go, it's like a different mindset almost. Like I wouldn't say I'm a super competitive person. Like I know some athletes, like whether they're like walking to the corner store or like doing a top level race, they always want to be first. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I would say in day-to-day life, I'm not that competitive, but as soon as like there's, there's somebody timing me, I'm like, okay, we're, we're going into race mode. So I enjoy, I feel like I get a different self out of that mm. when there's a timer going basically. Yeah. And how long did you, because you, if you talk us through your XC mountain bike XC career, you got to an incredibly high level. I mean, we always talk about Matt Beer and his exploits, but actually we should talk about your racing exploits <laughs> as well, right? I love Matt Beer. <laughs> you got to a pretty high level. Uh, I, so I guess I raced a lot on the Quebec Cup circuit to start. And then um, I guess, yeah, we did like Canada Cups. And kind of my, the peak of my racing is I raced. My goal was always to do a World Cup and you have to get enough points to do the world cup. So there was the one year where I was basically pretty sure that I was going to get enough points to race the world cups. And I got enough points to race the world cups as a U23. So my last year, U23, I kind of just like went all in on the racing. Cause I'd kind of been in school for, I guess those years, I think it was like my third or fourth year at university. So I was kind of like, kind of put racing on the side. Like I was still racing, but not at as high a level as I could have, I think, through the first couple of years of school. And then the last year of school, I was like, this is my last year, you're 23. Like, if I'm going to get to do a World Cup, it's now. And so I really trained hard all through the winter and then uh, got enough points in the early Canada Cup series and then got to race Mossanen and Wyndham. So cool. It was pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> I looked at the results, actually. And you'll end enough was in that race. So I was like, <laughs> oh, my God, I'm like mid-pack, like very much not near you'll end enough. But I'm like... How cool is it that I'm on a list so cool. with? <laughs> so cool. <Yeah. laughs> you know, in XC, they have a very different approach to juniors mm-hmm. with that sort of, well, the under 23 category. Um, and then you see an enduro they did with, when it was at EWS, they did in the under 21. I don't know. I can't remember I think it's still U21. Yeah, yeah, for enduro. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good point. It's downhill's a bit. Yeah, you I go don't straight know. from juniors to elites versus, yeah, there's juniors, U23 and then elite. But I yeah. guess it's hard because it's, everybody's on course at the same time. So you, if you have, if you go straight from junior to elite, then there'd be like 300 people in the yeah, field or something. And there's already basically, if you don't have enough points in cross country and you're starting towards the back of the field, you're, it's pretty hard to do well. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, so you had this a question I asked, you know, both um, Alicia and Kaz, um, as well as Matt, actually, we have people that, like that took things to a really good level um why didn't it sounds like with you maybe the timing is much anything but why didn't you turn pro why didn't you get the sponsorship to take it to the next level do you think um, looking back trip yeah. down memory lane what could have been <laughs> i mean definitely 
sometimes I'm like, because you see people that not a lot, but I know like Haley Smith is still racing and we mm-hmm. raced together and we're like relatively like close in times for the year that I was my last year, mm-hmm. U23. She's a couple years younger. Um, but sometimes I would look at her results and be like, oh, like coulda, shoulda, woulda. Like yeah. maybe, you know, I could have done something more with my racing. Um, but I think at a certain point, like my last year of racing, I was finishing school. I got communication and journalism degree at Concordia in Montreal. So I was doing that. And then I also got a job four days a week, I think, at Specialized Canada. So I wow. was just doing like a couple electives to finish up my degree. So I was doing four days a week and then also racing. And then at a certain point, my boss at Specialized was like, hey, we'd kind of like to have you on full time. And I was like, do I try to keep racing on the side? Like I, I didn't feel like I was good enough to like have a full ride. And I don't mm-hmm. think I was good enough, but I think looking back, I'm like, Oh, maybe I could have like asked for more. Or like, like, I think I, I had kind of a slight imposter syndrome of like not thinking I was as good as I could have been or seen my potential. Yes. Um, or also just feeling that it was a bit of like a selfish pursuit and that I was like relying on other people to support me. Um, and I think people who are good at racing and like see it through kind of make it bigger than themselves. And I think it, it can't just be about like me, me, me. Like you have to kind of be doing it for somebody else or for a better cause or, you know, maybe you want to be a role model for young mm-hmm. girls coming up through the sport. And I didn't feel like I had that. And so when it was like, do you want to keep racing or do you want to work full time? And I was like, you know what? I think, I think I'm done with racing. Like mm. I, I'll still ride for fun. Like I wasn't done with riding. I wasn't like burnt out on it or anything. I was just like, I don't need it. I don't think I need to spend all of my free time and money on racing mm. anymore. And um, what was your entry into mountain biking? Cause like I said, you are one of the actual journalists at pink bike. There were two groups of us. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God the other groups there compared to what I offer, quite frankly. Um, so you went, you went and worked for Specialized Canada for a bit. Yeah. What was your job there and what did you do for, how long, how long was it for? Uh, I can't remember my actual title. It was something like marketing and communications mm. related. Um, and I kind of did like a bunch of everything, like social media and newsletters and um, updating their website and organizing some events. And um, so I was there for three years and then... I wanted to move out west because we came out for <laughs> a two-week bike trip and I, I was like, oh, this is a pretty cool place. I think I can move here. And then I saw the job at Norco and I was like, I would like this job. <laughs> and was that doing something similar? Uh, yeah, I was marketing and communications as well. Marketing and communications supervisor at Norco for three years. So you've had it kind of both sides of the industry. Yeah. And at, at this, on this end, we often see brands and we think, why have you done it like this? Or this is clearly a terrible move. This like looks really bad or whatever, or, or maybe it's just really, you know, they've gone to huge effort to kind of not do themselves any favors, you know, with some brands and how how they market things. Um, Being on both sides, how was your interpretation of what you were doing? Do you see, I mean, looking back, do you think you were like, sorry, looking back at what you were doing professionally to promote these brands, do you think you had a good instinct for it? Or were you looking back now like, oh my God, that was clearly never a move. You, you know? know what? I think it really makes me appreciate 
the people who are submitting content often from brands because mm. sometimes it's good content, sometimes it's not. Sometimes the person who is submitting it knows that it's not good content, but that's their job to do. And I know there's definitely been a couple instances where I was like, I don't think that, you know, they're going to want to run this, but I got to at least try. Right. Well, so can I just say, Sarah, that I personally believe wholeheartedly in every single piece of content I put out on the pink bike homepage <laughs> every single tech Tuesday. Yeah, I don't have to approve your every content. Single... It just goes up there. How the heck does it get up there? <laughs> How does this slip through your nets? <laughs> no, I mean, no, like I said, there are so many people that, mm -hmm. um, you know, so many teams that do some amazing things, then they do some easier lifts perhaps. Mm -hmm. And, you know, mm -hmm. It is yeah. not but everything when I was to be at, a home run. I, I, when I was at it was the Canadian branch. So we didn't really market globally, I guess. So it was mostly just the Canadian market. And then at Norco, I did remember like I would submit some press releases on Pink Bike, And I remember inviting Mike Kazmer to, can you please come to our bike launch? Yes. So cool. <laughs> so yeah, I definitely have seen it from, from both sides. So that's cool. And sometimes we have this phrase at Pink Bike. Um, in terms of, we call it like kind of almost like knowing what's good. Yeah. You know, what's going to be, like I said, of relevance to the viewers, of interest to the viewers. Mm -hmm. And what are we passionate about? Like, you know, I think largely the thing that interests the average Pink Bike audience member interests me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And vice versa. Um, what is good? What, what is this? What, you know what I mean? <laughs> because now that you, you said, you know, you have a, uh, you, do, you are kind of the arbiter sometimes for what gets on Pink Bike and what doesn't. Well, oftentimes, as well as having been on the other side when trying to, Think up ways to do cool things. What is good or cool or worthwhile in mountain biking, do you think? Um, I mean, there's no like right or wrong answer because I am still one person and there might be some things that I think are cool and other people don't think are cool. But if I'm the only person that thinks it's cool, they're probably not, not going to get it on the homepage. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, I think stuff that's different or stuff that's, um, I mean, stuff that's interesting, like, yeah. yeah, a little bit different, a little bit interesting, not your everyday content. Um, yeah. I mean, not everybody's edit is going to be a Brandon Semenuk edit, but no. there's varying degrees of like, what's good, right? Like, uh, And sometimes there are some amazing videos that it's not about some huge production value. It's about someone being passionate and articulating their thoughts. Mm -hmm. And that can be in itself really engaging. I mean, some of the reader stories are really, really, really great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and sometimes those are like harder to kind of wrangle so that people are going to click on them. Cause I'm like, Oh, this was an amazing story about something, an adventure that somebody went on, mm. but it's trying to find that title that is like to get people to click on it. Cause you're like, this has merit. Like this is a really cool story. I want people to click on it, even if it's not like the big name rider doing a big name video or a big name brand launching a big product, you know? And so it's kind of, I think that's where it's like fun to do my job is like trying to turn content that at first glance, people might kind of just like scroll past it and you're like, Hey, no, like, this is cool. Like yes. click on it. <laughs> but it, it. You know, you've only got that small photo and it's the same on like YouTube and things like this, the thumbnail yeah. and the title yeah. and you can have an amazing piece. And if the thumbnail and title isn't good, yeah. it's, it can be such a hard, <laughs> a hard thing to die. Yeah. You know? Like I remember the first years that I was working, like I think Brian changed like half my titles. We would go back and forth about like every, every single title. And now mm. I'm like, oh, 
my titles haven't been changed in a while. Like maybe Very I'm getting better. Very nice. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> yeah. Ari's just like, oh yeah. <laughs> Did you find it like quite, you know, you mentioned earlier on having the slight imposter syndrome in the race side of things. What was it like writing and passing comment or editorial comment or reviews for the start? What was your like relationship like falling into that? I mean, it's kind of, yeah, similar thing as well. You're just like, I think I had to gain confidence Mm -hmm. in it as well because it it's hard to definitively say something is good or bad when you know it's it could be like your fault that something wasn't right in the way you set up the bike Mm -hmm. or something that you missed or um so I think learning through the process and I think it was good having like Mike Levy and Kaz and Brian kind of like guiding me through that Mm. process. So kind of building up my confidence and um, yeah, just helping me figure out like breaking things down, I guess a little bit as well. But it is all, the thing with bike reviews or anything, it is all opinion. I know that's what's hard for me. I was thinking because <laughs> like I, I, I find it hard to like give my opinion unless I'm like, I have all of the facts. I know yes. all of the background and then I will go through and make an opinion. And so it's hard to like, yeah, it's hard to form a strong opinion for me, I guess, regardless of what the argument is. As you know, so I find it really difficult to form strong opinions too. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I feel like we're the opposite that way. <laughs> well, I am. Um, I, I feel it's. I feel liberated by the idea that it is just opinion because I think that. I, right, for people, I would say find a bike reviewer that you trust and that you trust as a process to come to opinions, and then accept that it is just their opinion. But like. You know, there is no, it's all make-believe, this bicycle riding thing, you know, it's just a real... I think I think take, take life too seriously. I'm like, no, there's a right and a wrong answer and I need to get the answer right. I, yeah, I mean, I'm someone that I'm very passionate about bikes, as you know. Um, and you're right, there is a, you know, there's a certain, there is a certain thing like, you know, you do get bikes that are better than others. Mm-hmm. But when people maybe see read into it and they think like i don't know a good example we we're actually talking about it you know just before recording the day of like bike of the year and people mm-hmm. being really sort of disheartened or frustrated with the thing that we chose mm-hmm. and it's like there are some really great bikes there are some really bad bikes all the bikes on the short list were, were really great mm-hmm. and there was one that we really 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 liked mm-hmm. but it's not you know <laughs> it's nothing to lose to lose sleep over yeah but at the same time when I came to reviewing mountain bikes, it was a, cause I'd never done it before, before I came to pink bike. Mm-hmm. I had the, I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to ride lots of different bikes at GMBN, which kind of laid a good foundation. Um, but it was quite intimidating. It was very scary being, having a degree of, degree of agency in something that I just cared so much about. Mm-hmm. No, I really, I've been fascinated with pink bikes since I started mountain biking, but probably before that, because I was like, there was this strange, wonderful thing that my friends would link me to. I'd be like, what is this? Um, but it's a very strange thing that I have any sort of control within that. Yeah. And I think for me, it's almost the coming from the opposite spectrum where a lot of people have been fans of pink bike forever. And other people are like, hey, that's like where you can sell used bikes or like pink bike. Like what, what kind of bikes do you sell? Is that a bike shop or is it a bike brand? And I basically came across Pink Bike because I wanted to sell used bikes. Yeah. And that's how a lot of people kind of first come across Pink Bike. And 
I don't even know like how recently I discovered that there was actually editorial content on Pinkbike. And so for me coming in to Pinkbike and being like, oh, people like have been looking at Pinkbike since like I was 10 years old. Like since people time began. really care about like what's been on the site and know what was on the site like 10 years ago. And I don't know that. So sometimes that can be hard to be kind of like coming back to that, like imposter syndrome, like, am I the right person to be mm-hmm. going through all this content? And, and then I think looking at the numbers that we have, like the, we're doing well, the content that I put up does perform well. And so I think it's like, I, I am the right person, but sometimes you're like, oh, like maybe there's other people who would have been better than me because I was not on pink bike in 2001. I was. Yeah. Not even a mountain biker. Yeah, no, oh, no, no, totally, <laughs> totally. Yeah, it's very strange. I mean, mm-hmm. I think um, the editorial side is really interesting. I think in terms of, I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna. <laughs> I I think that when we had that um, thing that happened in the autumn where that YouTube video got made about me and Kaz, um, I think it was really weird because I. I've been trying to, on some level, consider myself part of this community for as long as I can really remember. Not like going back into like childhood, but I mean, in terms of like all my memories and all the decisions I made to end up where I am happened at a time where I wanted to be involved in the mountain biking community. Mm-hmm. And um, when, when there felt like there was a referendum on me being a part of the community and the answer was a firm no, <laughs> it really, really yeah. hurt, you know? Um, but what's interesting is that the other way is that, of course, other people on the people that maybe fit, felt the strong way, which is fair enough. Um, and again, it's all a game of opinion and it's all, it's all good. But they probably felt that they were trying to be part of the club and I was not letting them in. Yeah, totally. You know? Yeah. And yeah. Um, it's all really because yeah. we want to feel connected to each other, that yeah. we all push each other away so firmly. Yeah. And, um, and I think that's very sort of eye opening into how the human brain works. And like, listen, I can never be angry at any of them because I'm hurt by the exact same thing, the idea of not being involved, mm-hmm. not being considered, mm-hmm. or dare I say, like being told to go away when actually you really are passionate about something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if anyone, like if I ever made anyone feel like they couldn't be part of the pink bike thing, or whatever it is that we're doing here, mm-hmm. like I'm really sorry because I love being part of it. It's my whole life. Mm-hmm. It's like the central nucleus to <laughs> everything that I do. So I don't want anyone, anyone to feel like that. Yeah, yeah I think it's kind of cool for me because often I get a lot of like kudos for hey thanks for like all the work you've been doing to increase the number of either like they talk about cross-country articles or or women's content Mm. and I was like oh I didn't even know I was doing that I think it's just like something that I do naturally because that's the content that I'm interested in so it's kind of like a personal bias twist on Mm -hmm. the content but I think it's also helps kind of grow the community as well. So I think it's kind of, it's cool that my role, maybe not so much like your role is a little bit more behind the scenes. Like I do some field tests work and I do some reviews and I'll put up articles that have my name on it. But a lot of the content that I do is also just like behind the scenes. So mm-hmm. you don't know the whether it was me that put it up or whether it was somebody else <laughs> that put it up, yeah, right. I mean, <laughs> which is sometimes good and sometimes not good. Sometimes, I mean, but it is, it's lovely to be able to, advocate for things that are, imp- that are important that you believe are important mm-hmm. whether mm-hmm. it is 
you know, something like the, the stylized version of the sport, whether that's cross country or whatever, mm-hmm. but also really important things like equity and mountain biking. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, it's hard because same thing, I think I was interviewing Nina Hoffman and it came on to kind of talk about um, women's mountain biking. And it's like, as a, as a, just a random guy who doesn't know much at all sat here, it's like, I'm not expecting you to be the spokesperson for all of the issues. That's great because often it is. <laughs> yeah. Often that is the case. They're yeah. like, oh, so um, we're making a new bike and it's going to have women's colors. Like what color would you like? Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Well, I like uh, purple. So like probably every other woman is going to like a purple <laughs> bike yeah. as well. What I hit yeah. that one. Yeah. <laughs> but it's weird because I'm like, I'm really interested to what um, just profession, like professionals and peers that I really respect think about things. But I don't want to let it at their door. Right? Okay, guys, so we've made a real mess of this. Would you, clean, you, would you, would you mind cleaning it up? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Um, how, how do you think the industry has changed? Or, yeah, it's in the time that you've been kind of in the online space. Do you think it's got better? Do you think it's like maybe the progress isn't linear, perhaps? Um, I remember like one of the first two or three years that I was at Pink Bike, I did like a burning question for International Women's Day. And it was like, what do you think we need to do to get more women working mm. in the bike industry? Cause I think that's, it's hard to, you know, see improvement in like the way women are re- represented in like sports teams or in advertising or in media of all kinds, if they're not kind of working behind the scenes, which I think why it's great to have like myself and Alicia and Christina mm. at pink bike is because like I said, I'm not really like, I don't have an agenda or anything to like create more women's content, but I'm just like interested in that content. So I know Mm. other people are out there that are also interested in that content. Um, and so I think there's, I mean, I think there's been improvements at pink bike. Like if I look at articles from like 2001 or whatever, I'm just like, that's like the the title of that article was like an interview with, a female athlete oh, calling. Don't. I'm like, yes. <laughs> don't My, go back I, in the archives and look for these. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Yeah, yeah. Um, so definitely, like, things have improved a lot, and you don't see like, did the Tour de France even get like rid of podium girls? Like, you don't see podium. I think they girls did. in think, mountain biking at least. So I think there's actually, a, I might be wrong, and I'm. Not there was something that's I saw where it's related, a, but <laughs> a, there was a male and female. Yeah. Yeah, something which, like that. Like, which sounds, you know, that's I mean, cool. Like, yeah. I think it's cool not to have women just be like on display. Like, have yeah. women actually like racing in the Tour de France femme, and yeah. you know, have women racing. Like, I think cross country is awesome. That like the women's racing is. I think that's why it's so cool. Is because it is pretty equal to the men's racing, and I think even like the Olympics, they have the same number of men as women that are like selected to go to the Olympics. Whereas it used to be like, there was no women. If you were a ski jumper, like you weren't going to the Olympics if you were a female ski jumper. So I think they've tried to equal out all the categories now, which is cool. Yeah. That's super cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's like media can be one of those things that often it is just the, what would be the phrase? It's just, it's this, it's very symptomatic of what the cultural culture is experiencing at the time and the attitudes of the wider thing. Mm -hmm. Some of the stuff that went on in the bike industry was like even in my time in it is well you look back at ads from like not that long ago and you're like 
that woman is not riding that bike. That woman is just like an accessory. Like we are this, <laughs> very this. much sexualizing the woman on the bicycle to sell the bicycle. Like what? This woman is not riding this bike. <laughs> but that's, that's why I think, um, you know, I think that sometimes the, uh, am I going to go into this yet? I'm going to be brave. Oh, no. I'm going to go into it. I think that sometimes like within the more sort of institutionalized forms of media, such as Pink Bike, as an example, they are thankfully held to a higher standard than some of the more independent forms. And by that, I mean people like, you know, and there are lots of really great content creators. I don't, I don't want to do that, but like on Instagram and stuff, there is some, to my mind, that kind of quite objectifying sort of promotion that you might mm-hmm. find. And what the individual wants to do with, with their set of choices is completely up to them. That's great. But it, I do think there are a lot of strange things where, you know, it's like MTB Enduro Girls. And it's just like, oh my God, this is wild. Like, and then you see actually brands wanting to associate with this page. You know, they're like, if Pink Bike was doing it, it would be absolutely, they wouldn't want to do it. But because they yeah. can kind of feel they can get away with it. I don't know. Yeah, quite yeah, yeah. Depending on the size of the brand or the size of the media enterprise, you can get yeah. away with more or less. Like you are responsible for more based on your, like how how big your reach is, I guess. Yeah. Which, well, I mean, it's, which is fair enough, I suppose. Yeah, In some totally. ways, like, you know, yeah. I, it's funny, you know, the, and it's good when there's backlash for like yes. big events. Like, uh, I mean, even like all these other events might not have had women at them, but then Rampage this year, it was like, hey, why aren't there women at Rampage? And there was like a lot more backlash than I thought, considering there was like no backlash in previous that, years. With the women at Rampage thing, though, does it not feel if the women athletes themselves are saying, absolutely, I want to be there? More power to them. Love it. And there, there were, for the record. But there were also some saying, hey guys, let's have them relax. Like, we'll get there in our own time. Yada, mm-hmm. yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Because I think it would be quite a, again, like, they're just amazing athletes. They're not necessarily the champion of a whole social movement. Mm-hmm. Of, you know, and then they've got to drop in with a helicopter following them, with the whole <laughs> world watching them, that they're going to be some, um, you know, some opening, opening of the floodgates to change mountain biking forever. And so I think in all this, it's really important to me well, it occurred to me that it could be important not to let them lose their agency mm-hmm. because there was a lot of really in, um, in the pink bike comments, and I'm, I'm not going to say I saw them everywhere, but in the pink bike comments, for instance, a lot of people really passionately um, supporting the idea of women's rampage, which is great, but not also actually really tempering that with the riders themselves and their expectations. And, you know, mm-hmm. and I know it's all very well as me to be like a guy like, women should be in fucking rampage now. And then the woman's going, well, actually, I'm kind of okay. I mean, maybe into, and I'm like, you you don't know what's good for you get to the top of that yeah. mountain well, I you think know? It's even i think we've talked about like for for world cup downhill like having like there's not a lot of stepping stones for like getting into world cup downhill it's like you basically race your small national series and then you go to the world cup series and it's kind of like now it seems like there's more free ride events and like slope style events but you do need i think all those like little building blocks it's not just like you say like okay, I was riding, you know, in Squamish and like, I'm a pretty good rider for Squamish. And then like, I think I can ride in Rampage. It's like getting invites to like proving grounds and then like dark fest this week. The women were riding the whole course. Like so cool. Um, So yeah, like those are kind of like the stepping stones that weren't there previously, but Mm. now I think they are like, there's like 
Dark Horse or like Hannah Bergman's event. And like, that thing that Chelsea Kimball did, I think, in the desert. Yeah, Desert when, Days. Yeah, yeah. That was just, yeah, yeah, super cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And oh. so they're kind of like the stepping stones, I think, are super important. And so, yeah, the industry has definitely changed in the six years that I've been in Pinkbike. Mm. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I think, um, and that sounds like a really wonderful thing. I mean, I think also, you know, you mentioned downhill. The women's downhill was absolutely fantastic now. Mm-hmm. It is so so great mm-hmm. and um some of the most exciting racing of the weekend so no no it's, it's, it's super super good um with that in mind um in terms of how sort of you know, how we go forward how we get more people on bikes and sort of in, in your your experience um do you think what what could to put this basically i think pink bike comment section i love the comment section I really, they're great I, proofreaders. That's what I'm saying. The most amazing <laughs> proofreaders you could ever hope for. And honestly, when I just copy, I just say thank you. I'm just like, yeah, yeah I mean, uh, thanks. I didn't notice that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel to me like sometimes the, it's a real mixed bag. Sometimes you get some incredibly strange things going on there. But you also get some really enlightened, fun people. That are quite- I mean, I think it's like because there's a lot of negativity when there is positivity, it's like the positivity is like three times or three times more or something, you know? So mm. when there is positivity. It's like, oh, wow. Like, yeah. Cool. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. I think also most comments are like seven layers deep of sarcasm. Yeah. Which you is know, hard to. It's very hard un- to tell. Yeah. I'm sometimes like someone asks you a question, you you make the mistake of asking, responding to it genuinely. Yeah. And they're like, no, no, yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. I, I don't always respond to comments because mm. yeah, you're like, yeah. It's got layers to it sometimes. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Was that quite intimidating, the the comment section coming on as like the news writer, content creator? Like, oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, like writing my first articles. I mean, I think I did have uh, like having a background in journalism and communications. Being actually it's trained like, for the job. Yeah, like I know how to write. Like I can, you know, like I think maybe my articles compared to other ones that people write, I'm like, oh, they're a bit dry, but I'm like, I just want to put in the facts, you know, I'm like, <laughs> I'm kind of trained that way. So well, you're not very pompous. Yeah. <laughs> See me and a couple of other people were definitely pompous enough that we really laid on thick. You know what I mean? So I don't take that as a criticism. Which I love reading your stuff, but know, I'm like, that, I just don't, I don't, don't, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. One time Kaz wrote, <clears throat> Kaz put into chat GPT, like, it was like, write, um, write a bike review as if you're Russell Brand. And it came out as something that like, you know, some of the, the you know, more exciting members of the tech department, right? Basically all nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of sounded about right. So Chad GPT sounds like your review. Is that what you're saying? Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> like honestly, like. It's using like lots of words. It was quite disheartening. <laughs> yeah. Cause that's what I remember in school, like doing a couple like public relations classes and like with marketing or business kids or yeah, students with business degrees versus students with communications and journalism degrees and communication and journalism you're like use the most simple language possible so that it's going to get across mm. and business it seems like it's use as many words as possible make it convoluted use yes. buzzwords and so they're like synergize yes very opposite and so i definitely lean towards the more like simple not complicated language yeah and how do you interpret like the journalistic standards across the bike industry? Do you think they're in a good place and they could be better? I mean, I know that's a really big question, but sometimes like, you know, sometimes I've, I mean, not to bag on anything, but sometimes like the lack of like, you know, someone works so hard on a bike mm-hmm. and whether you like it or not, 
they worked really, 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 really hard on mm-hmm. it. And I think it's only fair respect to work hard on the review to come to a... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and sometimes there are elements where, not not through any one place, but just as a general thing, I think that our journalistic standards could be higher. Mm-hmm. And that's something I'm trying to get better at, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, And what's your interpretation of someone that actually knows what they're doing? (laughs) Well, I think that's what's hard sometimes is that like if a lot of our like metrics or goals are kind of based on view numbers or based on like whether people think this is exciting or not. But sometimes though the the articles that take the most time don't necessarily or you put the most work into or you really research highly don't get the most numbers right and then i just put up injury report like like bruni hurt his foot and it's like wow like everybody's clicking on that and you're like oh sorry like that didn't take very much time like i'm sorry nobody clicked on your review today (laughs) right and it's it's kind of a hard balance to like i want the review content to do well because it's had some like so much work goes into writing a review Mm. like a lot of the articles like i put out a lot more articles but half of them are like here's a cool video that i found or here's somebody that got injured or like here's a cool clip that i found it sounds like the one really profiteering from people getting injured sarah would be your article hits (laughs) you're not standing around with a stick in people's spokes i just put up one today and i was like oh man i was gonna like yeah that definitely like you you're like, wow, that's a lot of people that are clicking on injury reports. Like, Yeah, so true. Yeah, yeah. And that's something I feel we really have in, in a lot of mountain biking. And yeah. I think it's compared to, like, I've just watched a lot of soccer or football. <laughs> and I'm interested in the injury because how it's going to affect the results. But mountain biking, we also have a thing like, that could have been me. Yeah, totally. It's like a morbid curiosity for our own, our mm-hmm. own fate. You yeah. Know? yeah, you're not going to hurt yourself like the footballers but yeah. <laughs> you might hurt yourself the same way that this mountain biker did <laughs> um have you ever had any injuries flat out riding oh uh well i broke my arms both That's kind of, of in yeah, one yeah before you started i guess like my no. first year at pink bike i just started in february and you broke both your arms yeah <laughs> in june june of 2018 oh, yeah it started in January, July, and then <laughs> I went out and did an enduro race. <laughs> I'm just imagining you sending like a speaker dial to Brian. Brian. <laughs> well, I was like, huh, I can't, I can't really uh, open my oh, computer no. right now. <laughs> oh no, because um, like, I just had little casts though, so they were like not all the way like past my elbow. It was like oh, before no. my elbow. I'm so sorry. It's so <laughs> I had my radius and my elbow on the right hand and then the left one was just the radius. So that one healed up pretty quickly. Sometimes um, you have a crash and you have an injury subsequently and you think, well, I deserved that one. That was in relation to the crash. Sometimes you have an injury where you're like, how did that happen? I just, you know, was this a big crash? Was it, did it merit the, Yeah, like I had never broken any bones before. Yeah. And it was like the first stage of this Kamloops Enduro and I was stoked and I loved the course and I'd done well the year before and I was like starting off and I, the top part of the set course was like very loose, steep stuff. And then the second part was like more flowy fast. And I was like, sweet, I survived the top part. Now we're getting into the fun stuff. And there was a step down and I just like went like, I think I just like compressed it too much and then like landed on my front wheel and just like must've put out my hands and just like exploded and yeah. How did you get off the hill? Did you? Oh, well, 
I uh, rode a motorbike off. Oh, nice. <laughs> I was, the guy was like, the race organizer was like, yeah, just hold on to my waist. And I was like, hmm, it's kind of hard. I don't know. Like, my wrist don't feel that good. Mm. <laughs> but we made it out. It wasn't like that far from where no. the like race was staged. But And was yeah. that the, uh, the, I guess, the biggest and worst mountain bike crash to date? Yeah. 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 It's like, I haven't really had any, like a lot of bruises when mm. I first started mountain biking and but i think that was yeah the only time i've broken bones i think a couple of months later or the next year i was like finally like back and feeling good and then i got skiers thumb like i sprained my oh, thumb no. on the whale tail on entrails great place to do it yeah i'm glad i went left and not like right because you can break your ankle if you fall right <laughs> off the cliff <laughs> so i went left and just like Solid. slid right into and pulled my thumb and couldn't ride for another six weeks but those were kind of the two knock on wood <laughs> Injuries so far. And you said, had. you know, you dabbled the last couple of years, well, when you came to BC with some enduro racing. Mm -hmm. How was that compared to the XC? Because you can, it's a different kind of like pain and stuff, but you can go into the red a really big way, right? Yeah, but I think it was just like a really good way for me to meet people. Mm, and like, right on. It, it was a really good way to progress my riding because it was like, oh, like I got to go fast because I'm between the race tape and... I wouldn't do that stupid drop if it wasn't in the race course. Like, why would I risk it? But, ooh, I'm being timed. I'd better do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was cool just, like, chatting with people on the climbs and not having to, like, worry Throw about... Throw shade. Yeah. Push then, them offline. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was super chill. Like, that's pretty much how I met most of the people that I'm, like, friends with. And Squamish was through, like, the local BC. That's how I met Christina. Like, through the, just, like going out pushing our bikes up fire roads in the middle of the summer it's sun and then um and then i mean yeah you go hard there's some of the stages were like 16 minutes long i did the whistler enduro one year yeah nice i got a flat on the first stage first stages aren't great for you hey <sighs> yeah it's true i hadn't put that in did, did you, did you <laughs> just... i should just skip the first stage <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. i was really proud of myself because i was able to repair it nice. put a tube in and then i finished the day super so, cool so yeah i I finished the race. Well, somebody's been watching Tech Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I should do my own Tech Tuesday. The yeah. 150th video on puncture repair, you know? Yeah, nobody's ever done one of those yeah, before. No one's, yeah. <laughs> um, amazing. Well, thank you very much for coming on the little podcast. It's been really, really, really nice getting to know you a little bit better. <laughs> I never knew about the double arm break. I'm sorry for laughing so much. <laughs> I can't imagine it. It was, it was not as bad as it could have been, I suppose. But yeah, yeah totally. I mean, it was a mountain bike there. Yeah. And yeah, thanks, uh, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you for the chat. <laughs> and welcome back for the, for the outro music corner. And Matt, we need to clear something up. So there's tire whiz, shock whiz, and there's air whiz. I just googled air whiz, and they're a um, air duct cleaning company in Clarksburg. <laughs> I just that, see that. Is that what you meant? <laughs> What's air whiz? No, I'm trying to clarify that now, actually. So, air whiz is, is something maybe, maybe kind of more technical. Again, I have no idea. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what was on that bike. Tire whiz. Tire whiz. Anyway. Yeah. Okay, I have used air. <laughs> <laughs> you have used air with. Okay, so if anyone is in the comments that can tell us what the hell is going on, we would mightily appreciate it because we've used various things at various times, all of which are whizzes of some sort. We just haven't quite discerned which. Um, so we're going to lead out with Music Corner and I'm going to go first. It's a very fun pop song. 
that is how they've got away with it, I don't bloody know. To me, it sounds exactly like a slightly India version of Madonna's Like a Prayer. And it is great. It is the last dinner party, nothing matters. Such a fun song. But honestly, I mean, I can't, I, I don't know if I'm going mad. I Googled it, I was like, someone else has heard this, surely. No one else is complaining about it, at least not on that I found. But if anyone else could lend an ear and tell me, are they the same or is it just me going mad? Um, Christina, what would your music corner for this week be? Well, I've been spending a lot of time in the gym and just trying to get myself motivated in um, other ways. So I listen to a lot of Fredigan, who's quite popular over the last, like, I don't know, year or two. And the song would be Jungle. Mm. It's just a good tune. Like you, you turn it on, you get hyped, you can go for a ride, you can go to the gym, you can kind of do whatever. It's just a good party tune. So it's funny. I think we have a very different um, approach to this sort of thing. You're getting hyped. I listen to like Radio 4, which is like British talking radio. <laughs> and it's always like, yeah, the long, the long, the long form, like shipping forecast. Like, yeah. I'm more of like a Radio 1 yeah. kind of listener. <laughs> how, how is the kneehab going? <laughs> Um, it's going super good, actually. I have graduated to dirt road riding, oh, which I'm pretty hyped about. And thankfully, because there's not a lot of snow this year, there's a lot of really good dirt roads out there. Yeah. So. I mean, most of them are just happen to be ski pieced as well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there, there is that too. <laughs> Matt, what this would, is true. What would, uh, what would your music corner be? Uh, I've been, it's slightly adjacent to Cadaver, which I mentioned last time. Um, but it is the album Six by Graveyard. And yeah, it's another sort of metal rock. Are they derivative from Madonna as well? Which period? No, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I just isn't everything I, a derivative from Madonna? Probably, yeah, to be fair, <laughs> tend to listen to albums through and through more than like one particular song from mm. one band. So it's gonna get in that jam. The connoisseur's way, you know what I mean? <laughs> I, uh, I don't listen to the lyrics very much. I just kind of go to the tune and mm. then come back to it later. So nice. Yeah. And, um, and there we have it. So, like I said, if you can get in the comments and let us know what Airwiz is. And if you are from Airwiz, one of the finest Clarksburg uh, air vent <laughs> cleaners, you know, get more in power touch. to you. Get in yeah. touch. Let's, uh, let's do some kind of air vent collab. <laughs> Thank you very much. And we'll catch you next time.